You can be opening your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 12. We have been studying through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, before we do that, today is Father's Day. And uh, we want to uh, you know, celebrate fatherhood always in the church. We have a gift for all the fathers in the room that the kids will hand out at the end of the service today. So, um, noises and holidays and the Word of God and worship, all things coming together uh, as they always do. Uh, so Luke chapter 12, but a great quote from Billy Graham. Uh, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And I believe that God has given us the tools uh, with His Word, through His Son, for us to have awesome fathers in the church. And so I really want to uh, lift up all the men who are doing just that, uh, but also call the men to continue to move forward as fathers uh, you know, in, in God's church and to call more and more men around us to be the same. Uh, so happy Father's Day, and we'll celebrate a little bit more at the end of the service. Luke chapter 12, where we picked, uh, left off last Sunday. We're going to pick it up here in verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. Jesus goes on here as he's talking to a large crowd. Then someone in the crowd talks to him, right? And they say, Teacher, in verse 13, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me and judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to him in verse 15, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But, verse 20, God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be, Jesus says, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then, verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds! Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow in verse 27, he goes on. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he not clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The title of the sermon this morning is Just Right. Just right. Sometimes in life, it's a beautiful thing when we get it just right. This morning I woke up, you know, busy preparing for my sermon and 
And Eva comes down, gives her this lovely, you know, Father's Day card that she had made. And then, then she comes out later with a little, a little menu for what's my choices for breakfast. And uh, and I got, a, you know, yeah, I got two pieces of toast and some scrambled eggs. And then I was a little thirsty. I said, Hey, could you give me a glass of water? She comes back in, gets me a glass of water. It was just, it was just right. It was just right Father's Day morning for me. That's all I need. Amen. I'm good. And Jesus, you know, he he calls us in life. Uh, to figure it out, uh, to get it right. He, of course, lived it right. He, of course, makes it right. Uh, and here in this passage, he, he calls us to see past this world and to get this life right. Because it is very hard. It is very difficult uh, sometimes to, to really see past this world uh, and to get it right. And we cling so much to the temporary, don't we? Uh, but Jesus calls us to what really matters in life, the eternal uh, so we'll look at just a few ideas here we can uh, get from this passage uh, to get life just right. And then we'll end by taking communion together. Just the right ending to our time in God's Word. Amen. Uh, my first point here is, is the danger of too much. To, to live a just right life in Christ, you got to watch out. you got to watch out for the danger of too much. You know, this section we just read starts with a request from a man, uh, you know, to divide his inheritance uh, and, and, and Jesus responds, of course, as he often does, in a parable to challenge this man's heart. Uh, the man was asking for too much, apparently, because Deuteronomy 21.17 says the firstborn son gets half of the father's inheritance. So we assume this man was the younger brother, right? Asking for more than he, he was in the end deserved. If he was the older brother, I don't think he'd be asking uh, the question. And so he wanted more than he was entitled to. And it's a good definition of greed. You know, wanting more than we really need or even deserve. And rabbis were often in this time brought into these kinds of matters because they were considered wise and spiritual. And so it wasn't uncommon for someone to come to someone who they considered a rabbi, as they did Jesus at this time, the Jews, uh, and ask them to get involved in a legal matter such as dividing uh, one's inheritance. But Jesus, he says, you know, you're not even getting the, you're not even getting the point of this. You, you need to get your heart here, my friend. And then gives him, of course, this, this penetrating and challenging parable uh, about a man who was greedy. And that very night, as he's thinking through all of his greedy plans, dies. And has not been rich toward God. And it's all over, you know, at that particular point. You know, sudden and swift. And so Jesus, before he gives that parable, in verse 15 says, you know, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You know, it's not just greed for money. It can be greed for time. It can be greed for relationships. It can be greed for, for the good life. It can be greed for anything uh, that can often get us distracted in this life. And it can often hurt us as we pursue too much. Uh, and so Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for those things. Watch out for those things. You know, you can be poor. You can be middle class. You can, you can be wealthy. And all those people financially can be greedy. And it's true with anything else uh, in life. And so it's not so much about what you have, but how you see it. It's not so much about what you possess, but, but, but how you view that, uh, that I think Jesus here really defines as greed. You know, and he says in verse 21, he calls this man in the parable a fool. He says, you are foolish, you are foolish to live a life pursuing greed. You know, greed occurs because we get fooled. We think, we think we need more than we do. We think this thing, or this accomplishment, or this task, that this will really bring me the life that I really want. Uh, and even worse, as we get more and more greedy, we go after wants like they are needs, right? Oftentimes, which, and so everything gets all twisted up the more and more we live that way. 
And that's why Jesus calls, I believe, this man a fool. And so Jesus doesn't want us to be foolish. He's warning us, watch out. Watch out for all kinds of greed. But it's easy to be fooled. You know, how do we get fooled? Well, I think we get, we get self-deceived. If we were to meet this man in the parable we just read about, he's wealthy, he's successful, I assume he's young, because he's, 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 you know, he's, he's got his whole life in front of him, so he wants to build up these barns. And, but we might be fooled into thinking that this man was really, really had what really mattered in life, when Jesus says, no, he actually doesn't. He's, his soul is, is in debt. You know, his account is full, but his soul is in debt. And so this man actually is, is not good at all. And the man here in the parable, of course, he's very self-deceived. You know, it's quite interesting if you look at the part I have highlighted here. You know, the whole conversation he has is with himself. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Maybe there was a mirror during this, you know, during this whole interaction. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself after that, he's not done. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's the epitome of self-deception. It, you know, it's, it's, it's narcissism, if you will, to some degree, you know. But that's what, that's what we do when we, when we go after things that don't really matter. We start to get fooled. We start to lose what, what life is really all about. And this conversation this man has with himself in this parable reminds us of that. Jesus teaches us about self. What does he say we should do with ourselves? He said we should deny ourselves. Not carry on like this with ourselves. You know, this man was affirming himself more and more. And in the end, according to this parable, he lost himself. Greed is fed by self-deception. And are we deceived today by, by the surpluses in our lives, whether it be money or something else? Is it fooling us? And then the other thing here is, I think, you know, the man had a temporary perspective. In verses 20 to 21, Jesus says, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, we uh, our church is part of a, a mission society, and uh, they take care of a lot of our, all of our admin, and that's a that's a that's a blessing for sure in many ways. And and they they have decided to um, have all the all the ministry staff uh, you know buy into you know some retirement. Um, so part of my salary goes it, it has to go to my retirement, uh, which is really probably a good thing because I probably wouldn't be very wise uh, with some of that money. And so I appreciate it. But the, we had a meeting at the last staff retreat with the woman who runs that, and uh, she said, "Oh, you can go online and you can calculate. You know, you can calculate how much money will I need to retire at at this age." And I was like, "Oh, that's a really interesting question." So I so I got on the website, I entered all my information, and it just didn't work. And I thought, what does that mean? Does that mean I can never retire? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Or maybe I'm just, you know, computer inept. I don't know. But uh, it was interesting. But but it's interesting. We, 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 we save for retirement. And that's probably financially responsible. And, and it might free you up to do even more great things for God one day. And by all means, do that, I believe. But... But we save for that sometimes, and we think about that more than we, we save for eternity. More than we think about the, the eternal riches that we're building. And that's what this man did. He, he wasn't rich toward God. And so he, he, he missed the whole point of his life in the end. You know, which is more important? Preparing more for life after work or life after death? The answer is pretty obvious. It's preparing more for life after death. But are we living that way? And again, our money is just one example of that. 
Greed kills building a rich life toward God because we're clinging. We're clinging too much to this life. You know, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. Something's got to give. Uh, Leo uh, Tolstoy, famous Russian uh, novelist, uh, once wrote a, a short story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. One day he received a novel offer. For 1,000 rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at his starting point by sundown. Early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. By midday, he was very tired, but he kept going, covering more and more ground. Well, into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting point. He quickened his pace as the sun began to sink low in the sky. He began to run, knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line. Grasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? The danger of too much. You know, Jesus, he tells us here, do not be foolish. What, you know, what, what is this really all about? And again, we can be poor and be greedy. Because it's about how we approach the things of this world. And you know, it's easy to be critical of the rich. Yeah, yeah, you know, because most of us are not. Let's just be honest. I know most of you and you know me and we're not, we're not really in that category. Uh, but Jesus, he actually uses us then, right? He transitions it from the crowd to his disciples in verse 22. And then he speaks here of the danger of too little. Having too much is dangerous to our soul and our eternal state, but so is having too little. It could also be an advantage, but in this particular case, he talks about some of the challenges of having too little. Uh, here in the text, you, if you read on, uh, verses 22 to 31, he speaks, and we just read it, of these issues of not having enough food, not having enough clothing, and he even later on talks about not even having enough to drink. Um, when life is lacking these essentials, spiritually it can actually hurt our souls. It can be harmful to our, our spiritual well-being. Uh, you know, greed greed is a soul-killing sin. I think we've made that very clear from the parable uh, of the rich fool. But there are other soul-killing sins as well that actually get more associated with not having enough uh, in life. And so Jesus addresses these here uh, in this passage. Uh, the first one, in verses 22 to 26, he addresses the, the soul-killing sin of worry. The sin of worry. You know, he says... Do not worry about your life. That's a command from Jesus. So if we disobey that command, we live a life of worry, that's sin. He says, you know, and he's talking to his disciples who are following him. He's a homeless, workless rabbi who has no income, you know. And, and, and he had work to do, but it was the work of the Lord. Not, he wasn't getting paid, right? And so his disciples are very poor, and it's likely the crowds that are following him are very poor because he's, he's, you know, he's... You know, he's like a you know a modern a modern day buffet. You know, uh, you know there's there's plenty of food if Jesus wants to make it. Right, he could take you know two pieces of bread and three fish and and feed five thousand. So so likely most of the crowd is poor. But he says, watch out for worry. If you're lacking, watch out for worry. It it will kill your soul. He says, you know, consider the ravens, consider the birds. They do not sow or reap. They have no storm or barn. Yet God feeds them. 
and how much more valuable you are than birds. And then he goes on to say, you know, it's, it's, it's comical, but it's true. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single, a single hour to your life? And if anything, if you think about when you've spent time worrying, you actually waste hours of your life. Because the more you sit around and think about those things, the more you get sucked into those, those worries, the more you don't actually fix the problem or the, or the challenge that you're actually worried about. He says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Um, and so Jesus really challenges this, you know, this this view of worry. Uh, you know, I think of the parable of the sower. Um, it's just there on the bottom. We don't, for sake of time, we won't turn there. But in Mark four, eighteen to nineteen, you know, we often react. We often react strongly to the first type of soil of the parable of the sower, which is the, you know, when you throw the seed on the on the path. It says, and the word of God can't penetrate it. You know, that's when you share your faith with someone and they just don't seem open to, to God. And that's a, you know, it's a hard heart, right? And we oftentimes talk about that, analyze that, get discouraged by that. Some of us even stop sharing our faith because of that, which is silly, but that's what happens sometimes. But I think the third soul is the one we really should be worried about. Because the third soul is the one who, it, it, it's planted among the thorns. The, the, it's planted, it grows, but it says it bears no fruit. It bears no fruit. And why does it bear no fruit? It says, the worries of this life... And the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. In Mark 4, verses 18 through 19. Worry kills our faith, but, but no, it's not, it's not a quick death. It's not a quick death. It's, it's choked out. It's a slow, painful death. You know, worry, you know, you know, our, our worry and our faith are almost, they're almost, you know, opposites. They're almost, you know, in, in opposite proportions of one another. The, the more faith you have, the less worry you have. The more worry you have, the less faith you'll have. According to what Jesus is saying here, and I think the parable of the sower reminds us how deadly it is to live a life of worry. How deadly it is to our souls. Because Christianity is meant to be lived by faith. By faith. And worry is the opposite of faith. And so, you know, the sin of worry here, if we have too little. Also, we see here the sin of faithlessness. The sin of faithlessness. In verses 27 to 28, uh, Jesus mentions uh, these lilies. Uh, uh, they were likely, he's referring to what, what was known then as scarlet uh, anemones. Scarlet anemones. And they, uh, Palestine is very dry. And, and when the rain would come in the summer, it would come very suf- swift and sudden. And these, these scarlet anemones would bloom in the hillsides. And they're, they're, they're beautiful. Uh, but they don't live for one day. They, they would bloom quickly and they would die quickly. Uh, and then in Palestine, there's very little wood. Uh, and so uh, these, these scarlet anemones, once they died out and dry, were used for, for the fires. So that's why Jesus says, you know, it's here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. And so it's very much a, you know, a cultural uh, and natural reference. Uh, we don't think of throwing flowers in the fire, right? It doesn't really, you know, uh, make sense to us. But that's exactly what he was referring to. And, and why does he refer to it? Well, he says, you know, God is in those details, if God's in those details, how much more so is He in yours? If He cares about these flowers that are that bloom for one day and tomorrow are thrown to the fire, how much more so, you know, does He care about you? You know, does He clothe you? He says, right in verse twenty-eight, "Oh, you of little faith." And so He uses that analogy to expose our faithlessness. Our faithlessness. You know, God is. You know, God is not looking for perfect faith. He's just looking for some faith. And the question is for us: is where is our faith today? Are we faithful or faithless? You know, in Luke 17, verse 6, again, another scripture reference you can look at later. Jesus says, you just, need, you just need faith as much as a mustard seed. 
And you can do amazing things in this life. I have a couple analogies today. I'm speaking up at Sutton Coalfield this afternoon. We have a service up in the north part of the city. Um, uh, that's why we're a little thin today. And uh, pray for that. That's at 2.30. Uh, but uh, the, the first thing here is, you know, this is a pack of mustard seeds, right? There's a, there's, there's a ton of mustard seeds in there. I'm not going to open it and throw them everywhere because uh, I don't think Dermot would appreciate that. But I'm going to pass it to Tim here and you guys can all look at how tiny those mustard seeds are. If you know, you just pass it on quickly. Don't, don't study it so everyone can see it. But uh, and it'll end up over here with Grace and Ruby and, and I'll get it back from them later because I need it later on. Um, so don't, don't eat them and don't steal them, please. But uh, they're tiny. They're, they're, they're itty bitty. They're, 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 they're tiny, tiny. We just, need, we just need a tiny little bit of faith and then we have a lot. We just need a tiny little bit of faith and then all of a sudden life, life actually is rich again. And you can be poor. You can be sick. You, you can be in, in, in conflict relationally, but, but if you just have a little bit of faith, all of a sudden life is richer. Life is fuller. Life is better, dare I say, when we just have a little bit of faith in God. And Jesus says, don't, don't buy into it. The faithlessness that is out there, the cynicism, the drudgery of the ways of the world, you know, the political rhetoric. Man, it's just it's just full blown. And then now we have the now we have the media outlets twenty four seven. It's bad news all the time. You can just sit there in front of a TV and just be depressed. Just 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 come back, Jesus. You know that's all you want to think after a while when you're watching you know the twenty four hour news. We got to get away from that. We got to focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And really be encouraged by the mustard seed. We just need a little bit of faith today. A little bit of faith. God's not asking you to be Superman or Superwoman of faith. He's just saying just have just have a little bit as as much as a as a little seed of mustard. And there's a and there's probably about two thousand seeds in that bag because they're so tiny. So the sin of faithlessness, we we've got to we've got to see beyond our faithlessness and be more and more faithful when we have too little. And we're all lacking something, aren't we, that can steal our faith today. But that's not where we need to focus. We need to focus on Jesus and what he's calling us to. And the last sin here is the sin of worldliness. You know, we see here, you know, we see the, the sin of worry. Jesus calls out that. He calls out the sin of faithlessness. And I believe lastly here, he calls out the sin of worldliness. In verse 29, he says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. He's not saying don't eat. He's not saying don't you don't you don't need water. Of course you, he's saying don't don't set your heart on it. Right? For the pagan world runs after all such things. He doesn't mean the pagans are like, you know, salivating all the time about food and, and constantly talking about water. He's saying, no, no, the pagans are they're so focused on this life. They're so focused on their present needs. They're so focused on what, what's happening right now and they don't get they don't get the big picture. And that's what he calls them us and them too. But seek first his kingdom. I'm sorry, but seek his kingdom. Matthew says first. Luke just says seek his kingdom. And these things, he says, will be given to you as well. You know, if you put if you put God and his kingdom, you know, ahead of those things in your heart, Jesus says God's gonna take care of you. I've never met a starving Christian. I've never met one. I've never met a thirsty Christian because we're brothers and sisters and we're going to take care of one another. And so there is there is incredible safety and comfort amongst God's people. And it's sad that those outside the kingdom, you know, we may not even know of their needs. And there are certainly people in this city 
you know, who, who are starving. There are certainly people in the city who are thirsty, and we need, to, we need to meet those needs, but part of that is bringing them into God's kingdom. Uh, you know, they're, they're one and the same. And so Jesus, you know, he, he says, you know, you've got to really see through the world and its ways. Um, there's popular movements now, you know, people who are called minimalists. Anybody know about minimalists? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's, there's documentaries on them. And, and, and you, you watch how people live in a simple way and you think, that's actually really smart. That makes way more sense than how I'm living. You know, as I'm moving my eight boxes into my garage and having to sort through them and they fall over. And, you know, guys, get rid of those eight boxes. You know, it really makes you think about that. And it makes you think, what am I running after when you read this passage? What am I running after? Am I that different than the pagans out there? What is, what, is, what is my heart really set on? What do I value most? You know, do we value eternity or just this temporary life? You know, if we have too little, I think we first have to ask ourselves, do we really? Maybe we have too little because we want too much. Maybe we just want too much. Uh, but we all at times can have too little. And according to Jesus, it is a test. It exposes what we are really living for and what we really value. You know, Jesus wants to use our poverty in its various forms to make our souls wealthy. He wants to use our poverty in its various forms to to make our souls well fed and no longer thirsty. But we must come to Him in the midst of this and learn and change. You know, Jesus here calls us to avoid extremes. You know, watch out for for wanting too much. Watch out for wanting too, you know, for, for, for struggling. I'm sorry, spiritually. Because no one wants too little, I don't think, most of the time. That's actually a good thing most of the time, to want too little. Um, But to watch out what can happen to our hearts when we have too little. Uh, And lastly, He calls us to a just right life. He calls us to a just right life. And I love that about Jesus. He calls us out in our sin. He exposes us, doesn't He? He calls us out, but then He calls us to something better. He calls us to something more. You know, and so... Uh, you know, maybe maybe today you, you feel like you do have a lot. You do have some extra money or, or some extra time right now. Or, or you're really healthy. Or, or, or you got a lot of, a lot of love to give. Or, or you got a lot of things you want to do for people. You know, and that might be your surplus right now. That might be, you know, you know what, what you have. And, and the opposite of greedy, of course, is generous. The opposite of greedy is generous. And Jesus, you know, He gives us a solution in this passage uh, to what we should do if we have a lot. He says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So Jesus says, hey, if, if you want to make sure you don't ever get fooled by having too much, give away the too much. Give it away. Give it, give, bless someone else with the blessings God has given you. Isn't that the whole purpose of our blessings? So that we might bless others so that they can see God fully and completely. John Wesley grew up, you know, in Oxford down the road here and in the 1700s. And uh, John Wesley uh, had this great rule of life. He's obviously, a, you know, an influential leader in the Reformation um, here in England especially. And, you know, he had a rule of life, save all you can to give all you can. Save all you can to give all you can. And uh, records show that uh, the first year of his full-time being paid in the ministry, he made 30 pounds a year. This is the 1700s. I'm assuming that was enough to live. And uh, some of us are shocked by that, right? And he lived off 28 pounds and gave away 2 pounds, which really isn't that impressive. You know, it's, 
I was like, that's not even a tithe. But anyway, um, but then he eventually got a raise to 60 pounds. Then he got a raise to 90 pounds. Then he got a raise to 120 pounds. So at one point he was making four times what he originally was making uh, in the beginning. But he still lived off 28 pounds and gave away the 92 pounds when he was making 120 pounds. Because why did he need more? Why would he want more when so many other needs around him could not be met if he just kind of clung to that? And so, so that was a great example to me of, of what we can do, you know, uh, with our contribution. You know, as God blesses us and we make more money, we should be giving more contribution, right? Not less. Uh, you know, as, as we approach missions, it's great to have some, you know, people from Belfast today. And I was in Belfast recently and, you know, without missional generosity, this church would not be here. Without missional generosity, the ICCM, as we try to expand in the UK, could not could not function. Our, our, our little bit of generosity, when we bring it all together, can do great good to the saving of souls uh, throughout the UK. And we have missions collections coming up. It always sneaks up, doesn't it? I know it snuck up on me. 24th of June is our first collection in a few weeks. Um, no, I'm sorry, in a week. June is flying by. And uh, and then we'll take another collection on the 9th of September. And that's going to go to the, the ICCM churches that are still not self-supporting. So I want to encourage you guys you know, to, to have that on your heart. That's a way that you can you can be generous and make a huge difference. You now I think about hospitality. We, we live in a culture where people are not really that friendly. People are not really that inviting to strangers. And our hospitality can break down those walls. It can break down those walls. You know, think about even in the church. When you, when, you, when you aren't feeling as close to someone and you sit down with them and you have a nice meal, doesn't, doesn't it just warm your heart toward one another? Doesn't it just open up beautiful fellowship? Doesn't it just rekindle so much about, about that relationship? You know, we had a great dinner with the Sigworths the other night. They made a spread for us. You know, they, we fit all of them and, and, and all of us. You know, what that's... Twelve people around their little table, you know. We had a we had a wonderful time, and we and we, and, and we just rekindled our, our our relationship and our friendship, and it just it was simple, it was easy. I, well, the Roberta cooked a lot, but uh, you understand what I'm saying? You know, it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot, you know, for us. Our hospitality can do so much good for each other, so much good for you. And we had a wonderful spiritual conversation. The kids had a great time, you know. And but we got to open up our homes. We got to be generous. We got to be like that, you know. We we, we got to do that with our neighbors, you know. Imagine if once a week. You had a brother or sister into your home, and then the next week you had a neighbor or a friend or a coworker into your home. That would be 52 people you could bless in a year, some in this room and some outside this room who need that kind of, that kind of blessing, but it's going to take generosity. It's going to take generosity. We're going to have to sacrifice financially, sacrifice our time to make that happen. I think God could use our hospitality in this church in great ways should we, should we choose, choose to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, the poor among us, uh, the poor outside of, uh, of these walls, again, our generosity can go so far. Uh, we as a church need to continue to try to promote projects that we can get behind that will look out for the poor. Mom is going to talk about the Hope Collection today. Uh, but in the meantime, what are we doing? Are we generous when we go across that homeless person on the street? Do we, do we at least, just maybe you don't have any money, could you just talk to them? Ask what you could pray for them for. It doesn't even have to be money. It could just be just treating them like a fellow human being, which they are. So if we have too much, we've got to be givers. We've got to be generous. Uh, you know, if we have too little, you know, that was the passage I referred to there. Sorry, missed it. Um, if we have too little, uh, you know, we gotta we got to go bird watching, Jesus says in verses 24 to 26. Pick some flowers uh, in verses 27 to 28. You know, if we have too little, uh, you know, we first have to ask ourselves... 
you know, are we living a faithful life? Because one of the things I think we can do as Christians is we can get too spiritual and say, oh yeah, no, 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 I don't, I don't need much. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make much. And and we actually bury our talents. And so living a faithful life is being the best version of you. Living a faithful life is being the best version of me. Are you being the best version of you? And some of it is, you could maybe make more money. You could pursue a better career. I'm not saying to the detriment of your soul, because that would contradict my first point. But you understand what I'm saying. Are, are you doing your best? Are you doing your best? Sometimes we have too little because we're just settling for less. And the parable of the talents says that God is not pleased with people who do that. Uh, being faithful means being the best version of you. But the other part of this um, is really seeking first God's kingdom. Oh, which is the slide that I, I, I uh, wanted to move to. I just went there a little early. You know, Jesus says, you know, seek his kingdom and these will be given to you as well. You know, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom if you have to, despite the challenges in your life. Seek the kingdom if you're not sure how exactly you're going to do that financially. Seek the kingdom if you're not sure how that's going to work in your diary. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying. More than anything, seek the kingdom. Two different attitudes depend on what that means to you. What, what what does that really mean to you? When I say seek the kingdom, what does that really mean to you? Is it is it hesitation, fear, or excitement and zeal? You know, if seek the kingdom sounds like going to the dentist or paying bills, we don't really get it. We don't really get what Jesus is even talking about. It should it should sound like you're going on the perfect holiday. It should sound like. You got that on one knee and she said yes. That, that's what it should sound like. That's what it should sound like. Don't run after the wrong things. Value above and, all, and above all else the things that build your soul and others. You know, where do I need to seek first the kingdom today? That's a good question if you have too little. Because the too little will always be an excuse. But Jesus says it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for us to go after what really matters in life. And if anything, it's an opportunity. Because one of the things about being poor that is an advantage is you realize the world is not enough. The world is not enough. And so in some sense, it's a great advantage to help us to really seek first the kingdom. You know, as we close out here, uh, you know, I want us to take a step back and really think about the big picture. I feel like this whole chapter, and even what we looked at last week, is very much about, you know, looking at uh, the big picture. Um, I need a volunteer here to assist me uh, for a moment. Uh, anybody who's brave and... Bold and Roland. Okay, great. Come on up here, Roland. It's not really that exciting, but uh, I made it sound like it was, so I get more volunteers. I want Roland to take this rope. Um, these are ropes tied together here. I want you to just kind of start walking. I want you to walk out of the room with the rope. It should it should work, I think, just fine. Uh, if you have to undo your rope on your end, just please do that, Roland, so we can get all the way out of the room. Okay, now you got to untwist yours, right? Untwist yours. Untwist yours. Just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. That's good. You can drop it now. Thank you. And come back in. Thank you. You're, you're a lovely assistant. Round of applause for Roland. What a beautiful assistant. Um, you know, Jesus says here, he says, where your treasure is in verse 34. You can sit down now, bro. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful. Um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says at the end of the day... It's really about what you value most. What do you really treasure? And oftentimes we value and treasure things that are very valuable. Things that you know really, really do matter in the end. And, and imagine you know, this rope that, that Roland you know, helped me put out. Imagine this rope. This rope you know, represents eternity and this life. 
that this rope just continues to go out that door forever. Just imagine that for a moment. And so if, if the whole rope you know, represents eternity and it never ends, this little black part here at the tip of the rope, this represents our life here on the earth. Does that make sense in proportion if the rope goes on forever? You know, so you young people in the room, you know, what do you really value? You're, you know, you're, you're over here on this end more right now. Feeling pretty good, you know, feeling pretty good about life, you know, feeling pretty optimistic. And, and But it's so easy, right? It's so easy when you're young to think that you have so much time, so much time to put Jesus first, to value what he values. So sometimes you can kind of put that on the back burner. But if you think about even even if you get a hundred years, and technology, you might get a hundred years, and, and maybe longer, you know, uh, or at least you could like it. Uh, as a young person, even if you get a hundred years, compared to eternity, that's really nothing. So as a young person in the room, are you building your life toward the treasure that really matters? Toward eternal things. You guys have the world at your fingertips. It's insane, the younger generation, the, the possibilities... The opportunities, the things you can do, the things you can access with technology, it has transformed the way we live. And so you guys have a lot that you could do. But are you going to be fooled by the world? Are you really treasuring this? Or are you treasuring all of that? And the older ones of us, you know, we're, we're a little further along here, you know, a lot of us. And, uh, you know, some of us, you know, we're really working hard right now in this middle part, you know, because we want to get to to this little part right here, you know, where we can retire. It's going to be so glorious, so we got to work extra long hours. we got to save lots of money. we got to do so many things. But if you think about it for a moment, is that really... Where we should be as we're getting older, pouring all of our time and energy and just toward retiring? No, it should be toward eternity. And if anything, someone should try to retire as soon as possible so we can spend more time working on eternity and less time working for the man, if you know what I'm saying. And so I, I love this. I love this analogy because it really makes us think. It really makes us think about what we really treasure, what we really value in life. Jesus came to wake us up, to simplify things, so we might really live a just, right life. Jesus, He lived it, so He showed us how to do it. He teaches us in His Word so that we can we can get through our struggles and our ups and downs, so that we can really live the kind of life that He calls us to live, and the kind of life that's worthy of the death that He died for us. And that's the part that we're going to end on here. We're going to end on, uh, you know, this passage in 2 Corinthians 8. As we take communion together... 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. You know, Jesus wasn't rich in this life. He had no place to lay His head, the Bible says. Yet no no head slept better every night on this earth, I, I dare say, than Jesus's, Right? He had nothing to attract us to Him, the prophecies say, in a worldly sense. Yet He lived the most attractive life. But He was rich at one point before He came to the earth. He was rich for eternity. He was in paradise. He was with God in heaven. He was very rich, but He gave all that up, it says. He, 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 for our sake, He became poor. So that through His poverty, we might become rich. Jesus was rich in every sense of the word, yet He chose to become poor, to come in the flesh, 
to die in our place so we, so we might find true wealth in this life. Today, if you're not a Christian, you know, spiritually, you are not poor. Today, if you're not a Christian, spiritually, you are not poor. Spiritually, you are bankrupt. Spiritually, you are, you are up to your ears in debt. Spiritually, the collection agency is coming after you. They're knocking on your door. You're in great debt because of your sin. And that's why you become a Christian. More than anything, is because you, you know you are a debtor in need of, of that debt being forgiven. And Jesus, through the cross, paid the price for the debt of your sin. And He offers that gift freely to you today, but you must choose to receive it. And if you're not a Christian today, please let us know how we can help you to become one. So that you can receive that gift that He wants to give you in that rich life that He offers all of us. And as Christians, you know, communion reminds us why we choose to die to the ways of this world. Just like Jesus chose to come and die for us, we must choose to die every day to the ways of this world, to the, to the sinful nature in all of us. And we talk about lots of different sins uh, today. To, to not be fooled by the greed and the worry and the meaningless pursuits. And to choose every day to die. And as we choose every day to die, then we truly, then we truly live. And communion is a great time to remember, to treasure eternity. You know, the unending part of the rope, right? The unending part of the rope. As we take communion, these are, these are emblems of our greatest treasure. The sacrifice of Jesus. You know, the bread which represents His body and the cup which represents His blood. Uh, they help us find true treasure in this life as they remind us what really matters in life and as they prepare us for the greatest treasure, our eternal life. So let's go ahead and pray as we take communion together. Amen. Father in heaven, help Jesus' words today to be real to us. It's so easy uh, to get fooled. It's so easy to be, whether rich or poor, to be like the foolish man who didn't really get what, what really mattered in life, who wasn't ultimately God rich towards you. Uh, thank you that Jesus loves us enough to come and show us a better way. Thank you that Jesus' words today can remind us, God, if we already know, to go back to those things again and again, God, and to continue to, to find more and more treasure in this life, and ultimately, God, the life to come. Uh, thank you, God, that He, uh, for our sake, became poor. And help us never, never uh, forget uh, the gift, God, of Him dying on the cross for us so that we can find treasure in this life and eternal life. Thank you for the bread which represents the body that was broken. Thank you for the cup which represents the blood that was poured out. And help us, God, to treasure that more than anything else. And we love you and we thank you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.